If you would turn in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse 13 in just a moment. Well, there once was a king who had everything that a king could ever want. Though he was born into humble surroundings, he attained to fabulous wealth. He ruled with might and wisdom, with the adulation and approval of his subjects, his home full of children, his enemies cowered before him. But all of that apparently wasn't enough. And so this king one day, as he walked around his palace, happened to spot a beautiful woman who was taking a bath in the house next door. And this king, in a moment of intense desire, sent for the woman, lay with her, and got her pregnant. As it happens, it turns out this wasn't just some random woman, but she was the wife of one of the king's most important and loyal soldiers. In order to cover up the sin of his adultery, he had this loyal soldier for all intents and purposes killed in battle, leaving him without cover or support from his fellow soldiers. The king, of course, was King David. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament story, you know that this man, hand chosen by God to be king, described in scripture as a man after God's own heart, afforded and provided by God with prosperity and influence and power. Well, it turns out that the best of men was only a man still, and he gave himself over to folly and wickedness. And so perhaps when urging others to dare to be a David. We should take that into account as well. The scriptures and indeed all of human history provide us with many, many examples of men and women who lived admirable lives, worthy of esteem, who in a moment of weakness threw it all away with a foolish decision. Whether it be David or Moses, for instance, striking the rock in anger and therefore forbidden by God to enter into the promised land, one need not look far to observe how a little bit of folly can totally change one's destiny. Happens every day. The woman who gets behind the wheel after a few drinks, caving into that temptation and clicking on the website. Foolish decisions that can mess up a life otherwise well-lived. And this is the burden of the preacher in our text this morning. His burden is to teach us that we should seek to live wisely, understanding, though, that all it takes is a bit of foolishness to bring it all to ruin. So let's read our text starting in chapter 9, verses 13 verses 13 and following, through 10, 20. And let us pay close attention because this is the word of God. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. 
There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this moment, as we examine the peculiar wisdom of this book given to us by you for our good, I pray that you would give us each open hearts to your word and insight by your Holy Spirit to understand and apply your word. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read the text, I looked at it for a while, scratched my head a number of times, cracked open the first book in my study, and the first sentence said, of all the passages in Ecclesiastes, this one is probably the most difficult to interpret and preach. So we got that going on for it. But I did apply myself to study, and in doing so from my study of this text, I see present here 
the preacher exhorting us about the nature of wisdom and the danger of folly. And I have three points in this sermon, three areas of danger to consider when it comes to the danger of foolish behavior as we seek to live our lives for the glory of God. The first is this, the danger of folly in politics. That's pretty relevant. The author of Ecclesiastes simply described as the preacher has been guiding us through his attempt to understand the nature of life in the observable world. And while he certainly was a spiritual man, indeed he was a Jewish man, who here and there bring the reality of God and his activity into the picture, and ultimately we'll see in a few weeks as we conclude the chapter, he will bring in the preeminence of God. Much of what he describes is more in line with a secular view of how things work. In our text, chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, he continues to describe his observations, and he relays a story that illustrates the significance of wisdom. There was a small city with few men to defend it. It was attacked by a great king and his impressive army. Yet in that small city with no great defense against the might of their enemies, there was this poor wise man who devised a plan that in the end pushed back their enemies and saved his city. Wisdom triumphed over sheer manpower and force. And yet... As he has observed through this book, life is full of irony. He sees a cruel irony in all of this. This wise man, this hero, is ultimately despised and forgotten, and everyone forgets about him. So it's not like the movies. The man does not become a legend. And such is the perplexities of life in a fallen world. Just consider who rises to prominence and fame in our day. It is often not the wise and the virtuous. Just consider the phenomenon of social media influencers. People that are famous for being famous or good looking. And the wise and the virtuous, just not as interesting and often forgotten. So he observes that wisdom, verse 18, is better than weapons of war, and yet one sinner destroys much good. In other words, a little bit of folly can mess up even the best of plans. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He lays out a list of proverbs, a list of wise principles to live by. He says, dead flies make perfume give off a stench. In that day, perfume was a symbol of costly luxury. Perfume was very costly in that time. So don't think Axe body spray. More like a perfume I read about this morning, the Baccarat, for $1,800 a bottle. He says a little bit of corruption spoils the whole batch. In other words, we might say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. A little folly outweighs the significance of wisdom and its effect. And he says, verse 2, the wise and the fool are certainly headed in different directions. Verse 3, the fool can't help but communicate to all who will listen that they are a fool. As Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 
Verse 4, when in the presence of a ruler, he says, keep your cool. Stay calm in the face of opposition. And so here then is a call to calm and self-control in the face of political problems. And how needed is that encouragement? Ours is a culture, as you well know, that feeds off of rage and conflict around politics. And embedded here in the preacher's observation in verse four is a call to calm and self-control in a world of ranting and rage around politics. And for us who have entrusted ourselves to Christ, as those who know God, the one who has all authority, the one who is sovereign over all the affairs of the political powers of this world, we of all people should be distinct in the way we respond to political controversy. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you want to shine like a light in this crooked and twisted generation? The bar is actually not real high. Don't grumble and don't dispute. And believe me, if you live your life seeking to live free from grumbling and disputing and quarreling and controversy, you will stand out. That is not normal. I mean, the, the most popular late night shows are shows where people rant and rave about politics. We just have this insatiable appetite for this kind of stuff. And many of us may be tempted to take on the anger and the rage and anxiety that those shows so readily supply to us. But here, we are called to wisdom in the form of a calm and self-controlled response. I'm not minimizing engagement in our country, in our democratic republic, but we are called to not give way to the foolish raging of this inflamed political environment. In a culture that feeds on grumbling and disputing, wisdom calls us to fortitude, to calm and rational responses. And if our hope is not ultimately in political solutions, and we are wise to not let our hope be there, we will respond in that way you will quickly learn that hope placed in political solutions is often a fool's hope. Certainly this past week was a ready reminder once again of that. And so the preacher warns us of the danger of folly in politics. Second, he warns us of the danger of folly in daily life. Chapter 10, verses 5 through 11. The preacher observes once again, as he has throughout this book, that life often doesn't make sense. Reality doesn't line up with an ideal version of life. He says, an evil that I have seen under the sun, folly, foolishness, flourishing in the ruling classes. Slaves on horses and princes walking like slaves. He's describing the incoherence of life in a fallen world. As Proverbs 19.10 says, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. And nevertheless, I think we all know we can find just that sort of thing. 
Those who are deserving of influence and clout are often marginalized, and the corrupt are elevated to power. Verses 8 through 11, he describes the realities of daily life and work. Certainly, in verse 8, we should understand that those who seek to do evil should often expect repercussions for evil. You fall into the pit that you dig, fall into your own trap, You break into someone's house or business and you will find the pain of the serpent's bite in the consequences you will gain. But verses 9 and 10, he further observes that even in the day-to-day toil of life, we face pain when we fail to take up our work with wisdom. So his illustration here is, when one is chopping wood with a dull blade on their axe, You can use more strength to try to make it chop through the wood, but in doing so, you endanger yourself as the axe bounces off the wood and slams into your leg. And he suggests maybe a little wisdom would help out here. Pause and sharpen the axe. Make a wise and thoughtful choice in your work. Or we might say, work smarter, not necessarily harder. Charm the snake before you set up your snake charming show. And so here, we are encouraged to have wise and thoughtful approaches to our daily lives and the work that is before us each day. From time to time, with my kids, who I love dearly, I have used the phrase, you need to use your brain here. Don't attempt to cut up a waffle with a spoon or something like that. And here, we are invited to have a mindful and thoughtful approach to our work, whatever that work is. So I would suggest a question that we ask ourselves each day, or regularly anyway, am I just pushing through or am I approaching my work thoughtfully Could my execution of my work be more effective? And so, this extends to all realms of labor in parenting, for instance. Maybe read a book that will help you if you feel stuck. Maybe it's considering if the career that I'm engaged in right now is the one that I want, or maybe a wise decision would be to look for work elsewhere or to increase my education level. In any case, the danger of folly in our daily lives is that we walk through our lives failing to be mindful of the tasks at hand and thus endangering our daily lives. Third and final point. He addresses the danger of folly in the way we talk. Verse 12, he says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Verse 13, What begins in foolish talk ends in evil madness. Verses 14 and 15, The fool talks and talks and talks, but in the end, he is still just a fool who can't even figure out how to get back from work to the city where he lives. Proverbs 18, 6 through 8 speaks about this when we read, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I've known some people like that. 
A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So, lest we think that talking is just talking, and foolish talk, well, we try to refrain from that. Foolish talk is actually dangerous. The Bible has much to say about sinful speech, about the destructive nature, for instance, of gossip or slander. Verse 8 of Proverbs 18 speaks of the words of a whisper that we speak them out, we love here. It just goes down like food into the inner parts of the body. You ever have that experience where just there's something satisfying about discussing something that's none of your business? It's dangerous. It's destructive. Richard Belcher, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says, the fool progresses in his words from mere foolishness to a way of thinking and talking about life that expresses opinions and views that are completely misguided and out of accord with the way life really works. Such evil delusion is harmful to the fool because he is not able to deal with the reality of life. And it is harmful to any who follow him because it can only bring negative consequences into a person's life. The fool's speech is nonsense, but is dangerous nonsense. I don't have to tell you, social media is the playground of opinions and views that are completely misguided and out of accord with the way life really works. And so a wise approach to the media we consume is called for. Verses 16 and 17, he holds up a contrast. He says, woe to the land, the country where the king is a child. What he's describing is where the king is immature, a man-child. That just about describes Washington, D.C. to me. Where the ruling class feast and drink and engage in self-indulgence. How much happier is the country where those who have authority wield that power with wisdom and self-restraint and discretion? Verse 18, he gives us a warning against laziness. And verse 19, a reminder that the seemingly ordinary daily experiences of eating and drinking are intended to give us joy. He talked about that earlier in chapter 9. He says money answers everything. If you have enough money, you can get away with almost anything. Would it surprise you to find out that a billionaire has some skeletons in his closet that were taken care of with his checkbook? Verse 20, he ends by addressing speech again with a metaphor. Be careful not to speak against the king or those in authority because it could very well come back to bite you. He uses a metaphor. A bird will bring your curses to the attention of the king. And so he ends with a reminder and a warning about the folly of careless speech. Therefore, an invitation to be intentional and wise about the way that we speak or don't speak. For Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And actually, as I thought about this idea of speaking careless words in your home, he describes a bird could take it to the rich. Is that an exaggeration? Was it not revealed a number of years ago that the government intelligence agencies were actually secretly accessing cameras and microphones on our computer and literally listening and reading our communication. Is that if, if the government told us 
they were installing a listening device in our homes, we would recoil. I find it funny then that we are more than willing to pay for that privilege and install Alexa in our kitchen, which my kids love for the bad Alexa jokes they ask for. But nevertheless, the reminder here is that the way we talk is massively important. Loose lips sink ships. And James addresses this as well. The danger of foolish talk. He says in chapter 3, 2 and following, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, that they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. In other words, the way we talk matters a lot. And so in a world filled to the brim with gossip, slander, accusation, emotional knee-jerk reactions, we are called to wisdom. Paul says in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are reminded in Ecclesiastes of our great need for wisdom as we engage with the political world, our daily tasks, and the way we speak. Now, here's the deal. Maybe you are aware in this moment that wisdom has not characterized your speech or your work or your daily life. Maybe you are painfully aware in this moment of a lack of wisdom in your choices. James says we all stumble in various ways. And if we are those who know, and perhaps the wisest thing we can know is that we are foolish so often. We all stumble. Oh, how we daily need the grace of God. In all of this, in the pursuit of wisdom, we never stop needing Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Aren't you glad that God chooses the foolish and the lowly and the despised? 
I know I am. For otherwise, he would not have chosen me. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is the one who forgives us for our foolishness. And Jesus is the one who gives us fresh grace to strengthen us in our faithfulness to God as he keeps us and takes us to the day of his return. And so Richard Belcher again says, the one who is the wisdom of God appeared weak and despised, but through his death and resurrection, he won our victory. He is our guarantee that God's wisdom will triumph over the foolishness of the world. Let me close with this. While King David seemingly threw it all away as he engaged in foolish sin, yet happily, his folly was not the end of the story for him. For all like David who repent of their sin as he did, who repent of their foolishness, who pray in the way David did after he fell, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For those who pray in that way described in Psalm 51, there is grace. No matter what you've done, no matter how far down into your foolishness, This need not be the end of your story. In Christ, there is always more grace. Grace to forgive your sin and grace to strengthen you to walk in wisdom and faithfulness to God. Wisdom is valuable, Ecclesiastes says, but it is vulnerable. And so we are always casting ourselves upon the grace of God, relying upon him. That is the wisest way to live. For he is good and faithful, and he is wise, and he will keep us to the end, even in our weakness, even through our foolishness. What mercy and what grace we have in him. Amen.